0: (laughs) we're trying i know
1: it's a we're a work uh in progress okay good morning good to see everybody here yay so i'll open us with prayer lord god we come to you and uh, we seek uh, to hear from you father and we uh, love to gather around your word lord i pray that uh, we would represent you well that Uh, your truth would go forth and it would give us life and uh, that we would be better for it because we would know you better Lord we thank you uh, for which you had men write down for us uh, so that we can uh, uh, study it Lord that we can uh, look at it that we can partake of it and I just pray that you would bless our time together this morning in Jesus Christ amen we are back in Galatians if you have not been here before we were uh, almost finished with the first chapter of Galatians, looking at this letter that Paul has written um, with a very uh, distinct purpose to tell us that uh, the, the just shall live by faith, and by the, that I mean that um, we are not bound uh, to the law by the law any longer than we live in freedom of, of the grace that God has extended to us, uh, and that He has fulfilled the law uh, completely and uh, suffered uh, uh, under it for us so that we are free. We had, uh, in the first uh, chapter, Paul was in the process of giving us um, his CV, if it, as it were, uh, regarding his message and his apostleship. And he has put it out there that uh, his message is a revelation from Christ and his apostleship was a calling from God. Uh, And he makes uh, no apologies for that, and uh, it is the highest authority by which he comes to the Galatians. And we now are coming to the end of this first chapter, and I thought that I would pick it up where we left off uh, in verses uh, 20 through 24 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul speaking, says, now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. He means everything that went before and comes after in uh, all of his writings uh, that are inspired. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So the word was out about Paul and uh, it was spreading to the believers in Judea. I think that maybe Paul may even be giving us a hint right now of where he's going to be going uh, in the rest of the book here especially chapter 2 uh, regarding the geographics and uh, so the word was this raging rabbi Paul, the, uh, we know the apostle, he'd, the one who had been wreaking havoc and uh, persecuting the saints, had been converted. And now he was preaching the very gospel that he was previously using as the cause for his persecution of the saints. But Paul's bold preaching was coupled with a revelation of the life of Christ in him. That's what made it real and verified it. And so we have here, you understand we're at the end of this chapter where he's presented things... Uh, before And what he is doing at the close of this chapter with regard to the Galatians is he's saying here, here are my credentials and I stand by them. And because of them, I believe I have the right to speak to you, he says. Listen to me. And that's where we leave it in chapter one. Now, we're going to be coming to chapter two. Remember, the first two chapters of Galatians, are some, uh, some refer to them as an autobiography of Paul. And uh, in chapter 2, he's going to take those credentials and he's going to begin to substantiate them. He is going to vindicate or prove what he has been saying by giving uh, the uh, Galatians uh, stories of what has occurred before the writing of this letter. In uh, uh, verse 18 of chapter 1, He spoke of a a visit to Jerusalem in which he met with primarily Peter. And he does mention that that James uh, also was there. And this was about a 14- or 15-day visit. And it was for the purpose of making the acquaintance of Peter in Jerusalem. That was probably his first official trip as a Christian. And uh, as we come into chapter 2 of Galatians, um, I should say that there are differing opinions among Bible scholars regarding the the visit to Jerusalem that he's now going to be bringing up in chapter two of Galatians. And that uh, is whether it pertains to chapter 11 of the book of Acts or chapter 15 of the book of Acts. Chapter 11 of the book of Acts speaks of a visit by Paul and Barnabas only. And it was because of a famine uh, that had been predicted and came about in the reign of Claudius, and uh, the and Barnabas and uh, Paul were then selected to bring the contribution from the church at that time of Antioch to Jerusalem, and to leave it. They were making. They were trying to supply for the uh, the needs of those who had been affected, the poor and the needy of Jerusalem, with money and food. That's Acts 11, uh, and it's it, it runs for four verses. Acts 15 is the chapter that really uh, speaks of the Jerusalem council. Uh, In my view, this is what Paul is talking about as we go forward. It seems clear to me, but this is the way I'm going to proceed uh, as we go through. Uh, So there we have that. Now, some people, uh, or sometimes, we can get the idea that uh, Paul was just immediately transformed at his conversion into a powerful apostle of Christ and uh, that he was fully accepted by the other apostles. That's probably not true, in fact, it's not true. Even the sketchy recording of Paul's bio in the book of Acts would indicate otherwise. Uh, We do know that upon his conversion, he was at the first rejected by the saints of Jerusalem, right? And that was because of his reputation of persecuting the saints. And that's understandable. But the truth is that after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul did continue on to the road to Damascus. And when he got there, he was not shy about speaking about what had happened and about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And he was attracting attention to himself at that time, and so much so that the Jews felt him a threat. He ultimately ends up leaving Damascus uh, in a basket over the side of the city wall where he is allowed to escape. And from there, uh, he goes uh, uh, into Arabia for the aforementioned three years that we read in the last chapter. Now, Arabia at that time in the first century would have included a vast area and uh, also possibly just the desert countryside around Damascus. So we don't have a a pinpoint location other than to say it is not Jerusalem that he went to. Okay, now when he went, uh, God was maturing him one-on-one. And the chronology of those years, though it is not totally clear, Paul has already accounted for several years. There's three that we read of, and there's another uh, 14 that we read of, and this is before receiving the right hand of fellowship from the apostles, which we will read he does receive in verse nine of this chapter two. But uh, let's going back now uh, and just uh, focusing on Christ's dealing with Paul after Paul was converted. He became an energetic witness for the risen Lord Jesus. And all of his previous studies, just as Linnell pointed out last week, uh, they suddenly came to light when the Holy Spirit entered in. Paul now saw these messianic prophecies in a new light and he began to understand the implications of the law and the message of the prophets, those things that Jews under the old covenant had just missed. But under God's private tutoring, Paul's eyes were opened, and uh, he began to be enlightened to the finished work of Christ. Now, it was several years after Paul's conversion that Barnabas went to Tarsus, where he he at that time was, and he was still Saul at that time. And uh, uh, Barnabas brought him to the city of Antioch, and the two men were there for about a year, in that church and Paul had a ministry of teaching and uh, he impressed the church leadership at that time. Now at some point while uh, they were there, the Holy Spirit formally appointed Paul and Barnabas to be his ambassadors. And Luke tells us of this in Acts 13 verses two and three, which says while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Looks like I didn't read the first verse. Galatians 2.1 was, Then after an interval of 14 years, that's where I got that. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. Now that's important. Okay. So we see that Paul is in this, God had, had separated him from the time of his conversion. We saw what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus. And now, after several years, the Holy Spirit is uh, saying this again, setting him apart. So uh, the, the elders at uh, Antioch then laid their hands on, uh, on them that is, Saul, who, who was uh, going to be Paul, and Barnabas. And they were sent away on their first missionary journey. And it's on that first missionary journey where uh, Paul's name, uh, Saul's name is actually uh, changed to Paul. Now, upon their return, this first missionary journey, Barnabas and uh, uh, Paul, uh, they report to the churches at Antioch how the door of, uh, to the Gentiles has been opened up by God. And we see then that God is beginning to establish his purpose for Paul going forth, and that is to be, we, we know, and we'll read, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, this was also the time when the attack that this book is addressing uh, began. Certain men, uh, the Judaizers, uh, they came from Judea to Antioch. These men were probably attached to the Jerusalem church. And they began teaching believers that unless Gentiles were circumcised, according to the law of Moses, they could not truly be saved. And so in Acts 15, verse 2, we read what Paul and Barnabas' reaction was to that. And we read here, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, that was with the Judaizers, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So the the meeting uh, in, uh, in Acts 15 has a uh, purpose which is distinct from that in Acts 11. And also we see that others beyond uh, Paul and Barnabas are sent. Now that other includes Titus, which is a pretty important thing. So uh, back in... Uh, Galatians, let's pick up in verse 2. It was, here we go, Galatians 2.2. 2, it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them, them here as those apostles in Jerusalem, the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. So we see that Paul has decided to confer, pri- confer privately with those apostles in Jerusalem. And I, you know, some commentators will say, well, he's not sure about his message or this and that, and he thinks maybe he's got the wrong message and he's gonna have to backtrack. Not at all, not at all. He is doing this out of courtesy to meet with the leaders, a few, uh, the ones who had been directly uh, in, in the life of Christ while, before his death, and he's going to present his message. Now, that is not to say that there cannot be some dissension among these leaders. Paul is, has no doubt about his message. Remember, he had it revealed directly from Christ. But I do think that uh, he sees there is a potential, if there were mass uh, numbers of people in a meeting, how the hysteria can kind of shift things emotionally, and you can end up with factions. And he did not want this meeting, not his message, but he did not want the meeting to be in vain or to run off track. And I believe that's what he is saying here. Now, it's important also to mention that uh, one of Paul's company was a young (coughs) Greek believer named Titus. And uh, he'd become the object of harassment by those who insisted he should be circumcised according to the so-called requirements by the Judaizers. Well, this was great because Titus could serve as a test case. You know, Paul was going uh, with him. We would see, would the Jerusalem uh, church receive this Gentile convert as he was into their fellowship? Or would they insist upon him being circumcised? Well, let's pick it up in Galatians verses 3 to 5 of chapter 2. All right. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. And we've said this before, traditions especially religious traditions, are hard to break. Those who are so captive to traditions may even view the liberty of the gospel as an offense. But as Paul saw it, there's no room for compromise with legalism. The battle for truth and the outcome would affect generations to come. Um, interestingly, William McDonnell, who writes the Believer's Bible Commentary, Has taken uh, verse two of Galatians chapter two and verse four, and he links them together, because uh, Paul says he comes up by a revelation, and then in chapter three we we read it was because of a false uh, brethren secretly uh, brought in. He said those two phrases actually tie in, so that we see the reason for the visit to to, uh, Acts, and I agree with that. Uh, Another thing, another reason to point it toward. Acts 15 that we're talking about here because he brought Titus with him. Now, the problem then that's brought before the Jerusalem council that Paul is relating to the Galatians in story is the same problem that the Galatians were facing. And though it's a long passage of Scripture, I do think it's beneficial for us to read the biblical account of the Jerusalem council. So we're going to, if you bear with me, read in Acts 15 verses 7 through 20. Acts 15, verses 7 through 20, this is what took place. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us, that's the believing Jews, and them, the believing Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples, that is the Gentile disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are. also are all the people kept silent and they were listening because now Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James, who appears to be the leader of the church of Jerusalem, answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, that is Simon Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, James is going to quote from the prophet Amos in chapter 9. And he says, after these things, this is what Amos wrote, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. James is speaking again directly. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they may abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Okay. We will come back to that in a minute. Any comments? Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 6. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. Now, sometimes this verse is used to characterize Paul as proud, uh, perhaps even arrogant, And likely he was before his conversion. Uh, But doing this may arise from a misunderstanding of what Paul is actually saying here. I believe that he is confident, yes, but not arrogant. The point he is making will be important for the Galatian believers. Paul was asserting that esteemed elders in the Jerusalem church, men like Peter, men of reputation, who actually walked with the Lord in person, well... Peter would have been held in awe by many of the saints, you know, somewhat like a celebrity. And likewise, because the, the Judaizers that had come to Galatians were from Judea and Jerusalem, by association they too may have been held in awe by the Galatians. But Paul wasn't denigrating the Jerusalem elders. He's pointing out that God's not a respecter of persons and neither was Paul. Especially with regard to what God Himself had revealed to him. Paul wasn't saying, Nobody can tell me anything. What he is saying is that when he had reported to them his message that he was preaching, they saw no admissions, no omissions, they made no corrections, and they added nothing to it. What he is saying is that they were all in accord, all in accord. And this is especially important because Paul did not preach. The keeping of the law and they did not suggest that he should when that meeting ended the Apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem council well they got together and they wrote a letter to the churches especially the Gentiles in the churches in Antioch Syria and Cilicia which is in, which included the following acts 15 verses 23 through 29 they wrote this letter by them the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality, If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. You know, I used to read (laughs) the New Testament, and when I got to these, I'm going, well, what laws is he speaking of in those four uh, rules that he sets forth? I thought, well, maybe this is some condensation, some condensing of the law uh, for, you know, everyone to follow. No. This is a ceasing from pagan practices. That's what they were asking, because they wanted there to be, these are not laws, they wanted there to be harmony and peace and unity be- between both the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. That was the, what this was about. There's no mention of salvation being attached to these, just that they will do well. Any comments? Porter?
0: Oh, they say
1: they are say. Right. But... You know, uh, the Jewish believers came out of traditions, Judaism, and the pagans came out of paganism, their tradition. So he's telling them, let go of these things. It's disrupted to to our fellowship. Okay, let's keep going in Galatians. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. But on the contrary seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncirc- uncircumcised excuse me since I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised that is the gentiles just as Peter had been to the circumcised the Jews for he was for he was effectually uh, working for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised he effectually worked for me also to the gentiles and recognizing the grace that had been given to me James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now they finally have gotten the right hand of fellowship uh, from the apostles in Jerusalem. You know, uh, growing up as I did in the Catholic religion, uh, it had been my understanding that Peter, was the first in a long succession of popes in the Roman Church. But as this verse tells us, there's no biblical evidence for that. Um, Or even that the office of Pope was ever part of the true church. The head of the church both in heaven and on earth is Jesus Christ. There is no vicar for Christ on earth. Uh, He's our mediator, uh, Jesus Christ. Paul, not Peter, was the apostle to the Gentiles, including the Romans. And Paul, not Peter, wrote the letter to the Romans, instructing them and establishing them in doctrine. Back to the Jerusalem Council for a minute. in In a nutshell, the apostles at Jerusalem recognized the special call of the Holy Spirit on Paul and on Barnabas, and they corporately endorsed what Paul was teaching. And so it was important that the Galatians knew that. This is what Paul is trying to convey to them because they become confused about the law in relation to the message that Paul was preaching about grace. The Galatians needed to understand that Paul's message had been acknowledged by the other apostles to be the revelation of God. Okay. Galatians 2.10. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager, eager to do. Which is another reason I don't believe this is Acts 11 that they're referring to because the whole mission of Acts 11 was to take contributions to those affected by famine who would have been without food and, and destitute. The only request that they made from the, lead, uh, that the leaders made on Paul was that uh, the poor be looked after. Something that was, he made known was his desire um, you know, in, uh, they had even his third missionary journey. In fact, was in part motivated by uh, Christians in need of welfare offerings. Such offerings uh, would ease the suffering of those, and it would also demonstrate genuine concern of Christians for other Christians. Uh, these are what we call works of faith, and they lend evidence to the indwelling Holy Spirit when we take care of our brother and sister in need. And uh, I believe this is what James is speaking of in in James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Uh, He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now, we're going to look at a very interesting encounter between Peter and Paul in Galatians, verses 11 through 13 of chapter 2, which says, But when Cephas, that is Paul, excuse me, Peter, came to Antioch, I understood, I opposed him. Let me read, let me start. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their their hypocrisy. So Paul is going to relate to the Galatians the story of what happened in Antioch. And uh, it was mostly, uh, most likely sometime after the, the, the Jerusalem meeting when Peter made a trip to Antioch. And the church there had a lot of Gentiles in it, a lot of Gentile believers. And uh, when Peter was there, he would often sit and eat with the Gentiles. Now, for a Jew, if he was still under the law, this would be a violation, right? But since all the people present were new creations, and all were under the New uh, Testament covenant of grace, there should have been no problem. Remember also that some ten years earlier, Peter was given a vision from God and told not to call unclean what God had cleansed, and this initiated the gospel going out to the Gentiles, beginning with the house of Cornelius. That's all uh, recorded in Acts 10. Also, Peter had been one of those in the Jerusalem meeting who had endorsed Paul's gospel message, which declared believers under the new covenant to be free from the old covenant. You know, surely Peter understood that he had been released from the law and he had liberty to eat with the Gentile believers. But you know, as I've previously said, traditions are hard to break and the transition from bondage of the law to the liberty of grace can be difficult. Peter was also feeling peer pressure, I believe, from his Jewish colleagues. So here's the scene. While Peter and the Gentile believers in Antioch were eating together, men sent from Jerusalem by the Apostle James were ushered in. Peter, forgetting his liberty, he was embarrassed to be caught violating the traditions of Judaism. And he then left the table, effectively separating from the Gentiles. Where before there had been liberty and fellowship, suddenly there was confusion. And to make matters worse, the other Jews present, including Barnabas, they get caught up in this and they default to Peter's actions. And uh, they move away from the Gentile brothers. Mixed messages always cause confusion. And even today, confusion exists about these two covenants. But as believers, we need to understand that Jew and Gentile, these are designations. And they have more to do with the natural unsaved man and the conflict between them than they do with believers. Uh, The opening chapters of Romans tells us the futility of each side's position. First, the Jew that lives under the law, he's condemned by it. And uh, the Gentile who is without the law perishes without it. Romans 2.12 states it clearly, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. But Jesus came to redeem sinners from the curse of the law. And those who are in them, both Jew and Gentile, they're a new creation, and they're under a new covenant. When we get to... uh, Galatians 3, I'm going to skip ahead just for a second because of this verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then uh, Ephesians 2 is very informative and tells us, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, he is our peace, who made both groups into one, that's Jew and Gentile, and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two, that is, Jew and Gentile, into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them into one body, that is, the church, to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. No. Yes, Kevin. I
0: find it interesting that Paul speaks of Peter and then he changes to Cephas before he introduces this section where Cephas is effectively Cephas being the rock, the stumbling stone. You know, mm-hmm. and I and I go back to Romans eleven where he talks about turning all men over to disobedience so that he can show that it's through his grace that he uh, brings all men to himself, you know. Very good. And that I think is the I find
1: it interesting just the the fact that he changes to Cephas. Very good. He changes back to, reverts back to uh, uh, Cephas for the name of Peter. And, uh, you know, there's some some of the Bible uh, translations, they have in quotations what Paul initially says to Peter after this event here. But others of them think that the quotation goes all the way through the end of the chapter of what he is saying. I'll just say this, that... um, What Peter has done is so important to Paul that he's not going to let it go for a little while. And we're we're going to learn from it. So let's do keep going on. You know, uh, there's, there's always this thing about the keeping of the law, whether you're saved or lost. If you do it, when you fail, you just really never know where you stand with the Lord. It always leaves you with a question mark. So we're not that way. Anyway... Uh, So we're going to go forward. Now Paul, when he sees the ambivalence of Peter, he responds with conviction, and we read this in uh, verse 14 of Galatians 2. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, yeah, he does revert back to it, "Uh, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel, compel the Gentiles to be like Jews, a little side note that like Jews right there. That's the that's the word Judaize. That's really the only place I can find it, and uh, it's the Greek word I Iodizezu, and uh, it's Judaize, And so we have that uh, concept attached to this uh, false belief. Uh, so Paul, with uh, Holy Spirit inspired insight, he interpreted Peter's actions. To be dishonest either he either Peter was acting according to what he deemed righteous when he ate with the Gentiles right or when he separated from them now no matter which in the other instance Peter was wrong and this is an important point for believers our righteousness is not determined by our, our by the opinions of men but by God Peter could not be justified by keeping the law When the Jews were present, if he broke the law, when they were not. And the corollary is also true. If Peter were justified without the law, when the Jews were absent, then he would have been equally justified in their presence. And so Paul rebukes Peter openly. And it's for the sake of all who were present, Jews and Gentiles alike. Hmm, I'm a little hesitant to start this because we're going to be here a while. Let me just say this. We're going to move on and read verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2. And I want to tell you that I have struggled with this, these verses, especially 16, and, uh, for a reason. And it's not that I want to be controversial. That's not it. I just think that the, we need to let the Word say what it means when we come to it. So let me just read uh, those two verses for you. Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We, by nature, Jews and not sinners of the nations. That was a common colloquialism for Gentiles. Having also known that a man is not declared righteous by works of the law, but through faith from Jesus Christ, we also believed in Christ Jesus that we might be declared righteous by faith from Christ and not by works of the law, because no flesh will be declared righteous by works of the law. So if you see, I've got LSV next to that translation you've heard me this is a Bible I have at home it's called the literal standard version go ahead Porter okay which uh, version are you using okay well I'm not I mean I think that that's trans transferable here but the wording is different when we get to faith Issues of faith, and I think it's important. Um, And this is the exact wording; they're different Greek words. Now, I I think that the exact wording in verse sixteen it it appears to be important. And amazingly, only a few other Bible translations grasp uh, what is the translation from the Greek exactly. Uh, One is the King James. This is where I came up on this because I was reading the King James. That's my standard Bible. And I noticed it said of faith of Jesus Christ. And I know I go to multiple other translations and it always says faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what's a diff? Well, there must be something. Um, And so I am looking then at the phrases about faith. The uh, Berean literal also says faith from Jesus Christ. Now, um, the Greek word uh, for here, and when it says faith of Christ, the word is to, T-O-U. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It literally means from, of, or his. Why is this important? Paul and Peter and all who had been at, at the Jerusalem council, they knew that a man is not justified. He is not declared righteous by the works of the law. They knew that. In fact, this is Paul's purpose in writing the, the entire Galatian letter. So then, what is it that justifies us or makes us... Uh, or declares us to be righteous? Well, the answer is clearly right here in this verse, that we might be declared righteous by faith from Christ. And the wording seems to be important. Please notice that the faith by which we are declared righteous is is not from us, but of or from Jesus Christ. In other words, his faith, not ours. And just so we don't miss it, in this 16th verse, Paul has placed the two phrases together so that a distinction is made. It says, we also believed in, that's the Greek eis, E-I-S, in Christ, that we might be declared righteous by faith from Christ, T-O-U. Let me say this about faith, and this is very important. When it comes to faith, our faith, it is never about how much we can conjure up or, you know, uh, in some way impress someone else. It is always about faith our object of faith, to whom our faith is. That's the important point. But consider this. Scripture tells us that there is a faith that God gives us. I'm speaking of the faith from God. There is a faith that God allots to each a measure. And does that mean then that God gives us the faith to believe in him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It is not faith to believe. It is faith to believers. Please note the order in the sequence here in verse 16. We also believed, that is, had been born again, so that we might, might then, next, be declared righteous by faith from Christ. Yes, God allots a measure of faith after we have believed. And we can go to Romans chapter 12 and let's look at that, verses 1 through 3. And let me read this. Um, Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, so we see Paul's audience is brethren, that is believers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect continuing verse 3 for through the grace given me I say to everyone among you he's talking to believers remember not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each of you a measure of faith now you know and reading this third verse of Romans chapter 12 two facts jump out to me about this measure of faith that God gives to each who have believed. First, it's a standard by which we correctly evaluate ourselves. And secondly, it is allotted, it is meted out by God on an individual basis to each believer, meaning each measure is not necessarily the same. And so that when properly understood, this faith allotted by God should prevent prevent our own prideful behavior and encourage sound judgment. And so it is that we are made righteous by his faith when we trust and believe in Christ Jesus. But as is repeated uh, at the end of that uh, Galatians 2 verses, 15 and 16, no flesh will be declared righteous by works of the law, a second time it said, and that could not be any more clear. Now we're gonna continue looking at this uh, as we get on into the passage and I'll give some more explanation. Uh, any, uh, any comments? Yes.
0: Yeah, so this section in Romans 12 comes immediately after the end of 11, which basically is the verses that talk about all yes. men being turned over to the uh-huh. So that it should be, and then there's the song of praise, and then therefore is the very first word in chapter 12. So it's in response to that grace of God mm-hmm. that we act. Right. And we act differently. The other thing that stands out to me is that uh, in, the, in the Galatians passage, mm-hmm. it is not just for Gentiles that this is called out. Right. It is for,
1: for all Jews present. Everybody well. was present, and there were like, Jews there.
0: The Jews would not have been saved without this stumbling you know, that the Gentiles make apparent to them that they are also saved and under the mercy of God right. as a result. So God's purposes are much deeper than what we see
1: immediately, right? right. And that, I think, is why I think he calls Peter up so much. It's very good. What what Paul is saying is for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, and Peter stood up himself in the in the Jerusalem Council, he said, why do we do these things? We're saved the same way. The same way we came out from under the law. They're coming away from without the law, but we're all coming together under grace, which gives us freedom from the law that condemned everybody. Condemns everybody.
0: If, if, God, if God wouldn't to put this in the Bible, I don't think it would be as clear as it is. You know, so this was part of the, God's overall plan to put this in there. Yes. Yeah. That Galatians would be in there to make it clear. The and Martin
1: Luther. Very good, yes. I mean, I've never really given the time to this book before that I have recently. And it's so eye-opening for me and necessary. Uh, that's why I'm just enjoying going through this in depth. But there's so much freedom in this. You know, I'm going to wrap it up in a second. When you are laying awake at night and reliving your day, and and your conscience starts pricking you and telling you and showing you all the many places you fell short and how you're not a good representative of Christ and you didn't do this and you didn't do that, that's not coming from God. That's not. We are free from that. We have been given second chance and second chance again and again. We are not under the law to be under that conviction. There is now therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And when you're condemning yourself, that's not what God wants you to be doing. So, let's close there today. Will you close us, please, Kevin? Father, I. Thank you.